you know, voting irregularities are very rare. Uh, That's the fact. Uh, You know, people will say different things about how prevalent uh, cheating is and that kind of thing. But the the truth of the matter is uh, the system here in Ohio is is pretty darn good. And uh, they do a very good job of making sure people don't vote twice or uh, people aren't filling out ballots when they shouldn't. Uh, That part, uh, the truth of the matter is that's that's pretty good. Uh, As far as the uh, integrity of the elections go, uh, I think they're very good in Ohio. We are looking forward our way. Hi, I'm Brett, and with me as usual is Carol. Hi, Brett. How are you today? Doing pretty good. Wonderful. You you know what? It seems like we are always in a political season. And I know we're not, but it's just always there. Never ending. Never ending. And we thought this would be a really good time to kind of review where we are right now in this political season being we're going to make this podcast episode apolitical it's nothing to do with democrats or republicans but just how can we be better informed as a voter exactly and make sure that we actually do go out and vote right exactly and and the one person that came to mind both of us at the same time we pretty much said the same name mark news news director at north american broadcasting favorite guy and that's who we have on the line right now mark how are you I am fantastic. It's, uh, it's nice to be with you. Yeah, it's good to be back with you, too. We know we've done a few episodes together, you and me, you and Carol, we three. So it's it's kind of like a little reunion. It is. And, Mark, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Well, I'm expecting cookies in, re- in return. So <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll get on those. And I promise I won't cook them, bake them myself. Okay, so Mark, today what we're going to look at is um, the election process, uh, goods, bads, changes over time, um, how, it, what's going on with the baby boomer voting block, and, and all of those kinds of questions. So let's get started. And my first question to you is, okay, the big difference is it's now a 24-7 news cycle. As Brett just said, it never ends. Yes. Uh, reporting a, a presidential election has got to have been different over the past few years. So tell us, you know, as a reporter and a, as a news director, how has it changed and how do you educate yourself on all of these issues and candidates? Well, it's not easy. Uh, You'd think with the flood of information we have right now with the Internet and everything else that it's easy to find any kind of information about a candidate or their stance. But it really isn't because they nuance it so much. Uh, I started uh, my first campaign that I covered was in 1980. Uh, the I, that was Reagan Carter, and uh, things have changed dramatically since then. Of course, most of the coverage that I've always done has been local elections or statewide elections, and the biggest change uh, since then, I would say, is the access to the candidates. It it used to be that uh, I could sit here and and pick up a phone and and talk to just about anybody I wanted to, uh, any candidate uh, for office. Uh, but they've all become so professional at it. Uh, there's so much money involved and, and uh, the way they do things. So there are always filters. You have to go through two or three people just to get to a candidate to even ask them a question. So uh, I think access to the candidates has been the hardest thing. And then, uh, as you know, as everybody knows, uh, I, I've heard the analogy that uh, getting information these days, uh, as far as 24-7 news goes, is like trying to drink out of a fire hose. Uh, it's just coming right. at you from all angles, and uh, it's it's harder and harder 
uh, to tell the difference between, you know, fact and fiction or uh, the way things are spun or, you know, all of the different uh, uh, opinion pieces. So uh, you really have to do your homework and you have to find sources that you trust. Right. And and it's not necessarily social media, which unfortunately is what everybody is is using as their um, uh, their their guide for information, which is, you know, even as much as we talk about the fact that's not a good guide, people are still doing it. Yes, absolutely. And uh, and and, you know, as far as the TV, the news channels go, uh, you know, the old saying is people don't want information, they want affirmation. They they go to the people they agree with. And uh, to some extent, that's true. But there are still voters out there who don't have an opinion or they have opinions, of course, but they just want the facts so they can decide who to vote for. So that's where I think for them, it's becoming harder and harder. Uh, right. I was saying that during the uh, conventions, and it's like um, people are singing to the choir, their own choir, how many people are really undecided and actually putting the time into finding this information? Absolutely. And, the, you know, the conventions are pretty much just TV shows, uh, infomercials, right. if you will. So, uh, yeah, the, the, you don't get a, a great deal of information from those. Right. Yeah. It's right. funny. I was listening to a podcast just recently, um, Ohio v. The World. It's locally mm-hmm. produced by an attorney, but he does a really good job on Ohio history. And he was talking about how he missed – uh, having a convention, he's just a convention junkie, but he made a good point about this that he says that conventions do allow these voices of the parties to come out and talk. So back when Obama had the stage, that was his stage to kind of go, hey, look at me, mm-hmm. I'm ready. Oh, right. And these he- conventions virtually were just PR. right. So you didn't have that opportunity to see the younger Democrats, the younger Republicans, or those in the wings right. wanting to be president maybe in another 8 to 12 years. They didn't get a chance to speak. And right. you didn't hear right. the, the divergence uh, of opinion inside the parties either. Uh, most of the time during a political convention, there are you know floor fights over their uh, platform or, or you know one candidate fighting against another. And so you get to hear a lot of different opinions. You Maybe you get to, like, for example, if you were watching the Democratic convention, you'd get to hear people from the right and from the left of the party disagreeing with their candidate. And you'd hear different, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ways that they see the issues. But this year, nothing like that because everything had to be staged. Right. Yeah. Right. Well, you know, the general public is looking for unbiased news reporting, or at least we say we are. I think I hope when people say they are, they are, which I think is nearly impossible in today's environment. But I mean, how do you maintain unbiased coverage as a news reporter? I mean, do you see, your, uh, you know, how do you see your role in, as a reporter covering the elections? Well, I'm uh, very old fashioned about that. And I believe that uh, I, I cannot show my personal preferences. I don't want to. I, I want to do uh, uh, coverage as unbiased as possible. And uh, it's it's not easy. Uh, you try to give as much equal time as you can to the to the candidates. And uh, you try to give uh, you be fair to them and give uh, different opinions. Uh, you know, they say there are two sides to every story. The truth is there are many sides to every story. And you try to give as many as possible. But, you know, sometimes you're overtaken by the facts uh, about what's actually happening. For example, if something comes out negative about uh, a candidate, uh, you can give their side of it. But you also have to give the facts. And if it's true, then you, you report that. Mm-hmm. So you, you're always I always look at it as, you know, try to be factual, 
try to give uh, equal and fair coverage to both candidates uh, and try to give the exact amount of time to each candidate. That's that's something that I watch very carefully. Uh, if I you know use a soundbite from uh, Biden, then I use one from Trump, and I try to make them about the same sound length, you know, that kind of thing. So I'm always trying to give as equal coverage as possible, but still being true to the facts. And it makes it hard for you, too, like you just mentioned earlier. If there are two layers to get to anybody for a quote, how can you equal that out? Yeah, it's pretty you know, difficult. Yeah, it is. And plus, you know, I don't have direct access to these candidates, so I have to use the sources that I have available to me. For example, our wire service or our uh, radio network or, you know, something like that. I have to use what they send, and then that's where I have to use my judgment, learn as much as I can, and then just use what I think is fair and accurate. Right. You know, Mark, this goes right into my next question. And one of the complaints that I've sort of internally had over the past few few years, not just this election, but for the past few years, you, you're looking at a, a, at a station and you think you're getting some really good information. And what you find is one reporter after another reporter after another reporter, and everybody's talking about the same story. And there's no variety of... Uh, thought and there's no variety of information i it, you you would swear some days nothing is going on in this world except the election you know and there's there's like no other news and if you look it's probably three or four days old uh, and so it's people are not paying attention so how how exactly has news coverage changed in your time doing this job um when you're looking at at that the the process and um what what what's happening out there with your with the other news groups well i think uh obviously the internet has changed everything um uh, for the good and for the bad i think Uh, obviously you know having this flood of information is is a wonderful thing and and but you know you have to be discerning about it uh one thing that that has always bothered me especially on the internet is this uh what I call the copycat syndrome. Uh, right. One source comes out with a story. Uh, and on the internet, then instantly everybody else reports that story and sources that first source. For example, the Washington post will come out with a story in five minutes. That story is on 5,000 other websites uh, with a big headline, like it's fact, and then if you really read the story, they say, according to the Washington Post. So everybody right. seems to copy uh, that one story. It, that's not a new phenomenon. I mean, it, it's happened forever. Uh, you know, if you think back to Watergate, uh, basically all the news on Watergate came out of the Washington Post. It was just other people sourcing it and following up on it as well. But uh, today, mm-hmm. with the uh, instant nature of the Internet, if something is reported by one source, it is then instantly copycatted by uh, 5,000 other sources, and then it looks like the story is fair and accurate when really maybe that first source wasn't as, as good as it should be. Right, right. Good point. Thank you. Elections have changed with the onset of campaign financing. I think it's become more uh, upfront about it. We kind of see that, especially with um, – uh, there was some legislation to try to re- redo this, how it all happens and such. But you know, a lot of high-ticket donations, high-ticket publicity. Do you see elections as less about policymaking or more about the influencers? Well, I think um, 
as far as influencers go, that that's something as old as the Republic itself. Uh, you know, I think it was Mark Mark Twain who said that uh, history didn't repeat itself, but it often rhymes. And if you, if you take a look all the way back to the formation of the Republic, you had the influencers back then. You had the the either the merchants and the traders from New England or the uh, planters and plantation owners of Virginia. So there was always that uh, the money has always been involved in politics. It's it's always been uh, uh, the influencers. Today, though, it, the way it's changed is that the the money is so prevalent. The money is so big and the money is so dark. Uh, and for right. reporters, that's that's the part that makes it uh, very difficult. Uh, it always used to be, you know, the old saying is follow the money. Well, now it's impossible to follow the money because you have these large uh, packs known as uh, 501Cs, which they don't have to disclose who gives them the money. So uh, it's very difficult to, to track. And then you have PACs, super PACs, and then the 501C dark money uh, PACs. And, and it's, it's just almost impossible to follow it. And then, of course, because of the Supreme Court decision in Citizens United, you have this huge flood of money coming in from all sources like corporations. Uh, uh, because, you know, according to the Supreme Court, corporations now have free speech rights like a citizen. So it's, it's amazing that the, the amount of money that is poured into politics uh, and and the fact that now it much of it can't be traced. Right. If you had the perfect world as a reporter, how would you change that? What would make it easier for you as a reporter? Well, I think the first thing would be, uh, you know, make uh, all of these uh, entities show where their money comes from. Because then, then you have a direct access to show where the influence is coming from, and I think that's right. that's the most of the reporters these days who do political reporting. Uh, they'll tell you that uh, from the state house to to the White House, it's it's very difficult to follow any money anymore. Right. Well, Mark, um, you know, a year from now, we're going to call you back and and follow up on the, that question, given what's going on in Ohio right now. With HB6. So who knows? Maybe we'll be making some changes, at least in our own little territory. Well, the problem is that the uh, the, the only people who can change it are those who actually benefit from <laughs> the laws being right. the way they are. They're, they're the well, ones who wrote the laws. Is, isn't that always the issue? Yes. Yes, it certainly is. And that's where it's important for people to you know, have their voices heard because believe it or not, when people call members of Congress or call their local politicians and give their opinions or send them an email, it really does make a difference because they pay attention to that. Absolutely. Especially when it really starts, when people really get together and make their decisions and their their wishes known, then they do listen. Yeah, I think if you put your voice out there to your elected official, Mm -hmm. then you can judge that elected official in regards to the response back that you get. And there right. are some that do some great responses and some that just do the form letter and say, hey, we got it, forget it. Make some judgment call on that as well, too. Right, right. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, so, Mark, now, um, those of us who are baby boomers always think that, you know, we know the most and we're right all the time. Oh, yes, and, yes, um, absolutely. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly, and we're going to stand by that. But but bottom line, there's always been this myth, or it may be truth, that the baby boomers are a huge voting block. And I was trying to find some information about, is that still true? Because boomers are aging, are they, we, they may not still be 
living and so therefore shouldn't be voting. Um, but what what's going on with that that uh, block of of older adults and and um, is that something that really even impacts your reporting of the elections? It does, and and the the baby boomers have always been a fascinating group. Uh, because number one of the similarities and number two the differences, so right. it, it's it's very interesting. You know, for the first time in, in the nation's history, uh, the uh, more than half of the voting population is now over forty five, and of right. course, a lot of them are made up of the you know older people who are from the baby boom generation. Um, also, the, the baby boomers, they most of them do what we call aging in place. Uh, they, they stay in the same communities. They've stayed, lived in the same communities for long periods of time. So they have a collective memory and they yeah. have collective memory of issues and, and what's important to them and who their politicians are. So, so in that respect, they have a lot in common. The, the other problem, though, is with the baby boomers, which I know you can look at different dates, but technically from about, you know, the mid 40s to the mid 60s, uh, that's really more than one generation. If you think about it. So uh, mm-hmm. some of them, you know, came of age during the Kennedy era. Some of them came of age during the Watergate era, era. some, you know, as late as the Reagan era. So so you really can't pigeonhole them as a voting block because education, right. class, uh, ethnicity, the, that has a lot to do with who the baby boomers are, too. So I, I've never seen the baby boomer generation as this, you know, monolithic group that always votes the same way. I, I think they are more diverse than that. And I don't think you can. What you can count on, though, is for them to actually go and vote because they right. will they will be making up a large portion of those who actually go and and uh, and you know, turn in their ballots. You you brought up a, a, a really good point about that notion of the aging in place. They have been in the same community. So it goes back to our notion of they talk to their elected officials because 30 years ago, it was much easier to talk to your elected officials. They The, the elected officials were actually campaigning at everybody's backyard and, and picnic grounds. And so they have likely are still in that notion of I can I can make change and I can vote and I and they're going to listen to me. Yes. And and I, as opposed to the young people today who are saying you know, uh, you know my 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 younger relatives they're not worried about voting because they don't think anybody's listening to them. Yes. Yeah, and that's you know that's a real problem for so many voters. Uh really if you think about the way politics works, uh you know, we have the primary season and in the, in the primaries, those on the far right and those on the far left uh, tend to be more excited about voting and they tend mm-hmm. to pick their candidates more. So then when it comes to the general election, you have a large portion of Americans who are really in the middle and they look at politics and they say, who's representing me? These people are too far left and too far right. I'm in the middle. So what do I do? Yeah, and, and I think that turns a lot of people off from politics and, and makes a lot of people not want to vote because, uh, uh, you know, that pendulum swings right and left. But most of the people are in the middle and uh, they, yes. they just don't feel like they're the way they feel gets represented all the time. And, and most of our really huge um, 
programs and services that have been created over the past hundred years are kind of in the middle type programs. They may have started with a theory that came from one end or the other, but they were brought into the middle. I mean, Social Security is literally a socialist program, but we've brought that into the middle to better serve everyone. Yes. Yeah. And so, yeah, issues like that. And and so I I think a lot of people are turned off just because they don't feel like there's anyone out there that that represents them. They'd they'd like to see, you know, well, maybe I, you know, I like some of the ideas of the Democrats, some of the Republicans. Why can't we have somebody who comes in and takes both? Right. I'm going to ask and uh, throw in another question here. Um, So it's sort of the flip side of that coin, because. Do you think it's this is more true now than it was in the past? What I hear from people when we're talking about elections isn't whether this candidate can do this or this candidate can do that. It's that no candidate is going to do exactly what I want and everything I want. So there's no notion of compromise in an individual person's thought. We all know we should be compromising to make things work. But I want it my way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there has been uh, somewhere along the line, the word compromise became a dirty word, uh, right. especially in politics. If if you if you compromise, then you're you're seen as somewhat a flip flopper or or something like that. I, I heard a right. uh, I heard a college president recently say, he said in politics, if you change your mind because the the facts have changed, then you're called a flip flopper. Uh, in the rest of the world, you're called an intellectual because you take a look yeah. at how things have changed and you say to yourself, well, yeah, I'm going to change my mind because I got new facts. But in politics, that's almost like a death sentence. Right, right. Well, and that's what's happened even when we're looking at the pandemic and modeling. That's the whole theory behind modeling is it's updated based on new information literally every right. day. Yeah. So, yeah. Well, speaking of pandemic, of course. You know, COVID-19 has really changed our conversations about a lot of things because of our limitations or the, now our outlook on how we are going to live our life. Uh, this leads me to the absentee ballot. We've we've had these discussions about absentee ballots, but I think it's now so much to the forefront because it's a safety issue that some people just don't want to go wait in line right. to vote. So, you know, there have been many states that have successfully used absentee ballots or mail-in ballots, including Ohio. What have you seen regarding the fairness and access of voting? I mean, has that changed over the years, or are we, are we making a mountain out of a molehill here? Well, I think, uh, I, I think we've had... Uh, a lot of changes uh, for the good and for the bad uh, when it comes to voting. First of all, uh, we now have three ways to vote in Ohio. It used to be you had one way. You went to the ballot on Election Day, and, and you, know, you went to your polling place, and you stood in line, and you voted, and, and that was it. Uh, the, uh, the good thing is now that we have options. You know, the first came the early voting. Remember, they first started the early voting several years ago where you can, you know, for a month before the election, you can go and vote at the uh, Board of Elections office. And then uh, they added the uh, basically what you I guess you could call no fault absentee. It used to be you had to prove you were out of town and, you know, it was very difficult right. to get an absentee right. ballot. But now anybody can get an absentee ballot. In fact, they're sending out applications to every uh, registered voter in the state. 
this year because of the COVID-19 uh, pandemic. And they just, you know, want to make it easier. And it, so far, you know, as far as safety goes, um, uh, you know, voting irregularities are very rare. Uh, that's the fact, uh, you know, people will say different things about how prevalent, uh, cheating is and that kind of thing. But the the truth of the matter is, uh, the system here in Ohio is, is pretty darn good. And, uh, they do a very good job of making sure people don't vote twice or, uh, people aren't filling out ballots when they shouldn't, uh, that part, uh, the truth of the matter is that's, that's pretty good. Um, I would say if there are any inequities in Ohio, you always have areas of the state and it's usually the same areas of the state, uh, mainly in uh, urban areas, uh, in, in the poor areas, uh, in Columbus, in Cleveland, in Cincinnati, where you just don't have enough voting machines. Uh, it happens. Right. It seems to happen every year. They never allocate enough to certain areas. And then that's where you get into a situation on election night when people are in line. The polls are closing. They have to go to a judge, keep the polls open for, you know, for a few more hours. It seems to happen uh, every two years. So uh, that, I think that's the only real problem that I see is this inequity in, in having enough voting machines in certain areas. But uh, as far as the uh, integrity of the elections go, uh, I think they're very good in Ohio. That's good to hear from, from that perspective because right. you, you can't find – the right answer to this at least you just can't at least most of the advocates you talk to and and people who um have a have a real stake in in making sure that uh uh people are are enfranchised to vote uh i think they'll tell you that the the system works pretty well that's that that is good that's good to hear and and it goes right back to our initial message is it is so important to vote even if you are feeling um encumbered by the candidates if you are just not happy doesn't matter you have to vote because that's the only way that we can make change that's it that's that's all absolutely Um, it's it's the most important right i think that you know and outside of free speech i think it's the the most important right that you have as an american and in a way it is your free speech yes very true that's very true and and i think too that when people are touting a lot of uh their their right to do this their right to do that um there's a cost to democracy there's a cost to all those freedoms and this is something that we can pay without costing us money but just to go vote and and it's so important i um sent out a note to my younger relatives to uh, to basically nudge them along on voting and saying um doesn't matter if you're at school doesn't matter if you're home um there is no excuse to not vote as a um i don't want to age myself too much here but um given that women had only got the right to vote in the 20s there were actually only um seven presidents elected between the time when women got the right to vote and when i voted the first time so out of 30 some presidents at that point in time there had only been seven that women actually had a voice in choosing and that and, and actually it was my dad who called me when I was at school and said, I'm going to come and pick you up so and take you to the polls. Wow. It was him telling me how important it was. So um, when people complain to, be about, to complain to me about politicians, my first question is, did you vote? <laughs> you know, I, I, I'll complain about all of them, regardless of party. Um, but if you didn't vote, you don't have – <laughs> I'm not listening. <laughs> so so um, 
Mark, this has been an incredible discussion, and thank you again for all you of bet. your time. The The last thing we really want to talk about is it is hard to find information. And so I just wanted to mention some resources. And um, for, you know, we had, we've talked, um, the League of Women Voters is a phenomenal resource and a neutral resource. They are going to give you information, and it's easy to find that information on their website at lwv.org. But you may have some other um, resources. Resources that you'd like to also give our listeners. Well, uh, as you mentioned, the uh, League of Women Voters is fantastic. Uh, if if people ask, you know, where you can find out more information about candidates and where they stand on the issues and things like that, I always point them to the uh, League of Women Voters. They do a fantastic job of that, and they're nonpartisan, uh, and they really are. They take it very seriously. And uh, but if somebody wants information on actual uh, voting. I always send them to uh, the the state's uh, uh, voting website, and that is voteohio.gov. Wonderful. And there are also um, there's a, a one place that you can go to for to find out your who your local county board of elections uh, where they're located or contact information and we're going to put that on our web on our uh, p- podcast notes for anyone who's looking for um, information from their own county and also um, I found a, an information for um, voters who are Spanish speaking and it's called Vote Four One One and we'll put that information on our in our podcast notes also so wonderful well well, mark thank you again for giving us a half hour of your time we really really appreciate it we knew this is what the episode would sound like i'm still ready for carol's cookies (laughs) i'll be there i will be there thank you again mark it was wonderful talking to you and again we're going to follow up on all of this next year Uh, you're welcome anytime